Our scripture this morning comes from the Proverbs. A man of quick temper acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. For pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. This is God's word. Amen. Thanks, Heather. Uh, Good morning. My name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Uh, And it's good to be up here this morning to talk about anger. uh, Because I have a problem with anger. And so it's very convicting this uh, week to get to work through these Proverbs and to get slayed again and again uh, by the the Word of God. Um, One uh, thing before we do get started that I forgot to ask Drew to mention uh, and my wife had asked me to mention is uh, each year we have a Christmas party. And so we want to go ahead and get that on your calendar. Uh, It's going to be December the 7th at 7 o'clock. Uh, at the uh, Diaz home, and we'll have their address and further information in the worship folder and in emails in weeks to come, but I just wanted to go ahead and make you aware of that. Uh, it is adults only, by the way, so you do have to secure child care that evening. Um, Proverbs and anger, <clears throat> we're in a series which is actually going to finish up uh, next week with uh, the subject of justice. Uh, And then after that, we'll be into Advent. But we've been looking at a lot of different topics, how wisdom and becoming a wise person affects things like the way that you plan, the way you handle wealth, the way you think about sex and beauty, the way you approach work, and then for the last two weeks, the way you use your words. Uh, And wisdom, we've been saying, is at the very least knowing the difference between right and wrong, but far more than just that. Suffice it to say, over the course of the series... I think we've all been struck by how every nook and cranny of our lives need wisdom. We need it all over the place. And becoming a wise person is not easy and certainly not instant. It takes a lot of time to learn and apply these things. When the moral rules of black and white don't apply, we need wisdom. Wisdom is problem solving. It's realizing there's a lot of gray in life. And so we desperately need the spirit of Jesus to inform our decisions And help us navigate. Uh, But this week we're going to look at wisdom and anger. Uh, If we're going to become wise, Proverbs is very clear. uh, You have to know how to or you have to learn how to handle this emotion called anger. Uh, I want you to think just for a second about this last week. Uh, Did you get angry at some point during the week? Uh, If so, what made you angry? And why did that thing or that person situation make you angry? Uh, I hope we can explore this a bit this morning. I hope we can get some answers and figure out how to remedy it. And I've already mentioned this, but I want to say it again. I'm very thankful that God in his providence uh, has me 
uh, preaching on this topic because I really do need the Spirit to produce wisdom in me. And I'll give you some specific examples, don't worry, uh, in a few minutes. They're coming. Uh, But I want to say, too, no one in this room, I think, needs convincing this is a problem in the world. As Drew just prayed, anger is all around the world, and it causes all kinds of things, murder, divorce, child abuse, greed, war, just to name a few. In fact, uh, some of you may have read about a family in Ohio who trapped themselves in a garage and uh, murdered themselves, basically, or, or committed suicide with carbon monoxide. And the police think that it was a family dispute over who was going to care for the children. So this uncle and this grandmother got very angry and said, well, we're just going to end it all. So anger, it's very destructive. It can demolish people and lives. And what's more, most of our experience of anger, either in ourselves or in someone else, is negative, right? We've not seen wise anger or good anger displayed very much, if ever, in our lives. And so with that said, all of us will tend to fall into two camps temperamentally, and we've seen this again and again in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Some of us are quiet and we try to avoid anger, and if we do get mad, we suppress it internally. So we'll call these the no-fuse people, okay? And throughout, I'm going to try to use these terms. These are the no-fuse people, and the rest of us us, tend to easily express our anger and we can fly off the handle, depending on the situation, This is what we call having a short fuse, right? So we have no fuse people, the short fuse people, neither of which is wise. And we'll see Proverbs teaches us to have a long fuse. And you saw that again and again in the passages that Heather read to us. If you're here today and you don't consider yourself a Christian or you're investigating Christianity, I want to say this as we begin. We believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only real transformative power in the world. It's the only hope you and I have to overcome anger, willpower, or simply changing circumstances, spouses, jobs, or anything else is not going to work. So how in the world would a person even find the ability to heal that problem? Well, an anger management class might prove helpful a little, but our only real hope is experiencing the grace of God through the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the... uh, sheet you have in your worship folder on one side are the passages Heather just read, on the other is the outline. So if you would, follow along as we go through the outline. We're going to look at anger under three headings. First, our anger, okay, the problems with it, uh, and ways to help diagnose it. Secondly, the anger of God. What can we learn from looking at God the Father and Jesus the Son, okay? And hopefully I'll point out some things about Jesus that he did get angry, and I'm not talking about the time when he got the whips out and drove the people out of the temple. That is one one instance. But there are some others that are, for me personally, more powerful, and and hopefully uh, they will touch you too. And then lastly, looking at wise anger and how the gospel can heal us of our problem with it. So first, our anger, and I want to ask three questions to kind of help us diagnose this, and we're just going to work through these three questions and then I'm going to apply the same questions to God, okay, as we look at some, some examples from the Scriptures. So first, in what situations do you find yourself getting angry? Why do you get angry? Okay, what situations preempt your anger? Uh, if you think back over the last week and the times when you did get angry, the occasion and the factors involved are going to speak volumes as you try to figure out why, right? Right? 
It might be the disobedience of a child. That one gets me a lot. The incompetence of a coworker. I don't ever struggle with that one. <laughs> the loss of your candidate in the election. Mm, right? That kind of hits close to home. It's recent. Traffic which delayed your arrival to an appointment. Big top of the list for me. And the list goes on. For example, parents. If your child's disobedience angered you in the past week, right? Think about the occasion. Was it because the child was hurting themselves or someone else? Or was it simply because your will was crossed? And how dare they? Watch out, right? If you take the time to examine the situations where you tend to get the angriest, chances are it's because your agenda, your desires, Drew referred to the book of James earlier, and in James he says, why do you fight Why do you get angry? It's because the desires in you are welling up and they're getting blocked. Ultimately, it's yourself, right, that's being blocked. And so the situations that preempt your anger are the times when yourself is most likely to be in the middle and something's bumping up against yourself and you're going to fight back, right? But not only... You've got to look at why and situations, not only that, how does it get expressed? Well, there's two main areas of expression that I want to mention. First is overreaction, and then the other is denial. Okay, so first the short-fused people. These are the short-fused and the no-fused people, right? The short-fused people, these people tend to overact more often than not. In fact, the situation doesn't warrant them getting as angry as they do, so rather than controlling it, the anger gets vented very quickly. For example, I really hate traffic. I mean, I don't just hate it, I despise it with a white-hot, passionate, blood-boiling, bone-rotting kind of anger. So, you know, it's just bad. And if anyone's with me in the car, okay... The angrier I get, the more prone I am, I, I am to lash out. It's like the pot that blows its lid because the pressure's so great, right? But what's almost comical about that, speaking of situations that really don't warrant you getting that angry, is it's traffic. It's not as though God's name has been blasphemed or injustice to the poor is happening right in front of me or an elderly person's being taken advantage of in the lane next to me. It's just slow-moving cars. Right? So, I mean, seriously, I can't control it. So why do I get so mad? Listen, because it's my will that I arrive at a destination in a certain time frame. And when I have that time frame in my brain before I get in the car, if that time frame is not met, somebody's going to pay. Now, it's not any of the cars around me because I'm not going to roll down the window and yell at them and make a fool out of myself. I'm just going to yell at my wife and my kids that are in the car with me. Right? Whoever's in the car. But secondly, it's not only the, the short-fused people, okay, but it's the no-fused people. These people, many times, they might be very angry about something, but when confronted or questioned, what's their answer? Me? No. I'm not angry. I'm fine. I'm not mad. Now, all of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. My son, even this morning, got, got upset about something. Uh, I confront him about his his anger. He says, I'm not mad. No, 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 you, you are, you are, right? 
But here's the scary part. The scary part is that people who fall into this category, more often than not, they're angry, but they don't even realize it, right? Everyone else around them does. But the problem is they lack a fundamental self-awareness with respect to that emotion. And so they need people to come into their life and say to them, no, you are angry. Look at, you know, look at what's around you. Look at what's going on. Well, not only do you have to ask why, not only do you have to ask how the anger gets expressed, but you have to ask what does it produce. If you look on your sheet there, the first uh, set of Proverbs under Proverbs 14, uh, verse 30, okay, the last one in that, that first set, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy, the, the ESV says envy, and that's wrong. The word really is passion, okay? But passion makes the bones rot. Anger has a disintegrating effect on your health, right? I mean, it not only destroys lives emotionally, right, mentally, spiritually, but it destroys lives physically, Okay? The peace of Christ in a tranquil heart brings life and good health, but anger, passion, wrongly uh, distributed or expressed makes the bones rot. So when I get angry in traffic, I can feel my blood pressure rising. Okay, Those of you who have a problem with this or have experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. You can feel, I mean, if they had a cuff on you, it would be through the roof, Right? So the longer I stay angry, the worse it is. But not only that, look at some of the other results. Look at some of the other things that anger produces, quick-tempered natures produce. If you just go down the list here on the sheet that uh, you have in your worship folder, words like folly, hatred, strife, transgression, it's this division, it's this brokenness, right? Right? The Bible teaches that selfish anger expressed as overreaction or as denial never produces good. It doesn't end well. It breaks down rather than builds up. It crushes rather than heals. And so obviously we've got a problem. We've got to figure out this problem. We have to address this problem. But I want to say there's a tendency within Christian circles, and I don't know how long this has been going on. I'm not that old. So I'd love to talk with people who are older than me in their experience of the church to find out. But in Christian culture, the tendency has been more and more to pull away from anger, to avoid it, because it can easily lead to sin. The problem is people who don't sin don't need Jesus, right? And this mindset has more in common with the Pharisees' mindset. The Pharisees valued appearance and calm above everything else. So internally, they may have been fuming, but on the outside, everything was great. They were disingenuous. They lacked integrity. And it's gone so far as to say that many Christians believe the opposite of loving someone is getting angry with them. If you get angry with me, then surely you don't love me. But the scriptures don't teach that. In fact, it might be sin to get angry in a given situation. But listen, it could be sinful not to get angry in another situation. So again, Lord, we need wisdom, right? So, to help us get there, let's contrast uh, our anger with God's anger. So, if you look there uh, under the second point, okay, what does the Bible teach us about anger, specifically from looking at God the Father and God the Son? 
in the book of Exodus, when Moses asked God to show him his glory, show me the essence of you, Lord, okay? And so the Lord passes by and basically says about himself these words, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Notice it does not say, merciful and gracious Lord, never to get angry, right? He's slow to anger, but he's slow to anger, right? It goes on to say, punishing the guilty, by no means clearing the guilty, but full of love and mercy to a thousand generations and so forth. So it's this contrast we've been seeing in the call to worship and the assurance of pardon. Proverbs, again and again, contrast the man who is quick-tempered, the man who is hasty, with the man who is slow to anger. And that's God's character that the book of Proverbs is describing. So there's two Old Testament examples I want to give you, and I want to just use the same categories. What's the occasion? What preempts the anger of the Lord? How does that get expressed? And then what's the result? Okay? So first, there's two from the Old Testament that I want to mention to you. That first is uh, Exodus 32. Uh, and you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to summarize these for you. But in Exodus 32, it's a famous story. Many of you are familiar with it. But the people get bored because Moses is up on the mountain for too long. They say to Aaron, let's, let's make some fake gods. And they make this golden calf and so forth. And the Lord says to Moses in Exodus 32, I've seen this people, and it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Okay, so Moses comes down off the mountain. He's got the tablets, and what happens? Well, as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, not as he was stuck in traffic. As he saw the people ruining their lives, turning from the living God to serve false idols, he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. He wasn't being mean. He was trying to teach them. So the people's unbelief is the occasion. Okay? What's the expression? God doesn't deny that he's angry. He says, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. Right? The sin of the people is significant and it warrants discipline. So God is not in denial, but he's not overreacting either. Not only did Moses destroy the golden calf, but later in the chapter, the Lord instructs him to instruct the people to strike down a number of people with the sword. Because anytime sin occurs, there's a cost that's created, a debt created, and it has to be paid. And usually, it's with life. Because sin causes death. And so, that's Exodus 32. What's the result? Well, the idol was purged from Israel and destroyed, and lives were taken to atone for the sin of the people. The Lord's anger brought about purification for the nation and reminded them of their call to holiness and obedience. But in the end, what the Lord was doing was good for them. Now, the other example is Numbers chapter 11 which begins with these words, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, 
His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. I can tell you right now, any time a chapter in the Bible begins with, and the people complained, it ain't going to be good. Okay? That's not good. The New Testament says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. It says that for a reason. Right? Because why? That shows a lack of faith. These people had been provided for again and again. And the writer goes on to say, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel wept again, and they said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt. Yes, I'm dramatizing, but this is I guarantee this way they were saying it. That cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. Those of you who are parents... If your children display that kind of ingratitude, what are you going to do? I hope you're going to get angry. Because the Lord did. Because at the end of the chapter, it says, A wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp. And the people rose all that day, and all that night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quail. Here's their meat. God said, you want meat? Here it is. Those who gathered least gathered ten homers. That's a lot. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Again, unbelief. God is attacking unbelief. He gets angry at unbelief. Now, move to the New Testament. There's a couple of examples I want to give you from the New Testament. Mark chapter 3 and Mark chapter 10 And these are uh, examples of Jesus getting angry uh, in two specific circumstances. First is the Pharisees have hard hearts because Jesus goes into a synagogue. There's a man with a withered hand there. And and, and, uh, Mark says they watch Jesus to see whether he would heal the man on the Sabbath. So he says to the man, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And then Mark says this. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Now whoever saw Jesus was relaying this story back to Mark and could see something in him that changed, that made them who were retelling this story. And the Lord looked at them with anger. So something about him changed. But what was, he, what was the occasion? It was the hard heart of the Pharisees. The other example is in Mark chapter 10. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. The next verse says, But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So the children being prevented, the weak being taken advantage of by the strong, Jesus gets angry at that too. How is his expression? Well, you never see him fly off the handle. His fuse is very long. But there's no denial. As the eyewitness who relayed this account to us today, they could see something change in Jesus. He was angry. Disobedience, hard-heartedness. What was the result? Well, in the first instance, the man's hand gets healed. And then in the second, he loves the children. 
he points out their value in the kingdom. He, he exalts them. And so good results in both of those occasions. B.B. Uh, Warfield, who was a commentator uh, at the, near the, the, the beginning of the 20th century, wrote this about uh, the passage in Mark chapter 3. The fundamental psychology of anger is curiously illustrated by this account. Because anger always has pain at its root and is a reaction of the soul against what gives it discomfort. And so it's the hardness of the Pharisees' hearts vividly realized that hurt Jesus. And his anger rose in repulsion of the cause of his pain. So the anger of God. Now, you may hear people talk about how the God of the Old Testament is mean and angry, but aren't, we, aren't they so glad that we now have the New Testament, right? Jesus is full of love and kindness. He's gentle, meek, mild. Well, I hope you see, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, that we're talking about the same God. In fact, God wouldn't be truly loving if he didn't get angry. A God who is never angry and always loving is a contradiction. In fact... Let me say this, gospel anger is love in motion to attack a threat towards something or someone that you love. Anger is love in motion to attack a threat towards someone you love. The reason God got angry with Israel was because he loved them. Had he not ever been angry, we'd have to doubt his declaration of love for the people. In these instances we read about, he just let the people... Go willy-nilly, do whatever they wanted. Create idols. Complain. But no, he loved them. And so he got angry. Anger is an emotional expression of love. One writer says it this way. Anger is not the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. So, if you love someone, you're going to get angry at them. Parents... Children, spouses, if anger never happens in your home, if it doesn't, if there are no occasions to get angry in your home, then it might not be that the peace of Christ is ruling. Maybe it's you're just indifferent. Maybe you've just grown indifferent, complacent. Remember, good anger is love in motion. It's going somewhere, it's moving toward a goal, and that goal is healing, it's restoration, it's wholeness. Which leads us to wise anger. How do, you, how do you get there? I mean, surely you've seen the difference between our anger and God's anger, right? The Proverbs, I mentioned this before, they're listed there on your insert. Describe someone with God's character. Well, how do you, how do you get that? Well, I want to say this about wise anger or describe it this way. First, it is slow. Secondly, it's rooted in pain and motivated by love. And then third, it results in redemption or healing or restoration. So it's slow. It's rooted in pain. There's something, there's some threat. There's something that, that's aching uh, inside of you, but always motivated by love and results in or has the goal of redemption or healing. Parents, when you see evil or foolish behavior going on in your children, you're not seeking to destroy your child, right? You get angry at, at, at what's causing that foolish behavior. And you want to do what, what so-called surgical strike on that evil. Get that evil out of the person, not destroy the person. 
Uh, I want to finish this morning by looking at another instance uh, of Jesus' anger, and it's from John chapter 11, a well-known passage uh, for many of you, where Jesus is uh, told that his friend Lazarus has died, and he goes to the tomb. And I want to pick up in verse 33, where John says this, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The Greek actually says he was burning hot with rage. But we don't like to often think of Jesus that way, so sometimes we translate different words. He was moved, he was troubled, but the literal words are he was moved with rage. He was angry. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, again the word is angry, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. What made Jesus angry in this scene is the very thing that drove him to the cross. His anger at sin and death compelled him to defeat sin and death by giving of himself. Listen to Warfield again. This is unbelievable. He says, quote, The spectacle of distress of Mary and her companions enraged Jesus because it brought home to his consciousness the evil of death, its unnaturalness, its violent tyranny. He contemplates the general misery of the whole human race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. When's the last time you went to a funeral and you got angry? Indistinguishable, excuse me, inextinguishable fury seizes him. His whole being is discomposed and perturbed. It is death that is the object of his wrath, and behind death, him who has the power of death, and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. His whole soul is held by rage as a champion who prepares for conflict. What John does for us in this particular passage is to uncover to us the heart of Jesus as he wins for us our salvation. Not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe. He has not only saved us from the evils which oppress us, he has felt for and with us in our oppression. And under the impulse of these feelings has wrought out our redemption. That's amazing. What did the anger of Jesus produce? Redemption and forgiveness and life. His anger at sin and death drove him to do something about it. It's love in motion, remember. Proverbs 19, verse 11, which is on your sheet, says, uh, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. That points us to the love of God for us in Christ. But it also points us to the beauty of wise anger. How do you become a person who, whose life is described by Proverbs nineteen eleven? You have to know, really know, taste in the depths of your soul that your offenses have been overlooked, but at a tremendous cost. The most glorious moment was not simply overlooking one offense, for, for the Lord God. It was overlooking the, the, the history of offenses, past, present, and future. The long fuse of God the Father, which had been stretched out over all history, 
was finally ignited on the cross. His wrath and his hatred for sin and wickedness and evil symbolized throughout the scriptures by by this this word cup and drinking the cup of, of God's wrath. That cup was poured out on his son, the Lord Jesus. And someone had to atone for all those offenses. The wrath had to be absorbed. A death was required in order for life to go on. And so the good news of the gospel is Jesus did this so you and I didn't have to. When that truth is absorbed into the depths of your heart, when when that glory invades your heart, it will change you into a person who's slow to anger and who can overlook offenses, you know, the kind you used to overreact to. How does the gospel heal us? And this is where I want to finish with, again, the two categories of people. Well, if you're prone to a short fuse, the truth of the gospel is that God is slow to anger and his anger was poured out on Jesus instead of you And that should humble you into a slowness to remember you are a sinner saved by grace. Tasting that truth is going to produce wisdom which will produce a long fuse. On the other hand, if you're prone to have no fuse, the truth of the gospel is that God didn't stand aloof or indifferent to our condition. His love for his people motivated his anger at sin and death and he was moved to do something about it. Jesus' life was one long fuse of anger, founded on love. And it grew and grew, eventually driving him to the cross. And so the gospel heals our indifference by assuring us, God loves us in Jesus Christ. And so you don't have to fear the emotion of anger. So I want to continue as a people to ask God for wisdom so that we can be a church who isn't afraid of anger, Not afraid of expressing it, but a church whose anger is motivated by love and active in seeking good. And so I want to finish by praying and asking that God would make us a people who aren't indifferent to sin, but who long for redemption and restoration in our city and in our world. So let's pray and ask that he would do that in us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for willingly absorbing the wrath that was rightly due us for our sin, not for your sin. We thank you that you who never knew sin or committed it became sin, became an offering of atoning sacrifice for our sin so that in you we might become the righteousness of God. And we pray that you would come and heal us by your Spirit of all the ways that we are unwise and foolish and quick, or just indifferent in our anger. Come and heal us. Come and make us more like you, slow to anger, the one whose glory it is to overlook offenses. Help us to be a people who are quick to forgive, slow to anger, and yet, at the same time, are passionate for seeing sin dealt with and injustice taken care of and brokenness addressed. And that the things that make you angry would be the ones that make us angry. And that ultimately you might change us so that we might reflect your glory here in Winter Haven and to the ends of the earth. We pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Uh, Amen. Please come join us tonight, 6 o'clock for Mission Night. Uh, Love to have you. Just a reminder. In the worship folder is a little description uh, right below the word benediction that reminds us that because the hand of the Father went over Jesus to smite him because of his white-hot wrath against sin. I now, 
any minister of the gospel can raise their hands over you to bless you uh, in, in goodness as you go and extend life through these words. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.